This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to episode 184 of the Laravel News Podcast. I am recording this one from within a hotel room in Newark, Ohio. So um, on the road today, Michael was so proud of me. I packed up all my equipment this morning. I did not forget. I took out my took apart my microphone and threw my scarlet and all my stuff in my bag and was like, ready to go. Very good. Ready to go. So very good. This is two yep. weeks in a row you've been traveling because you were away for a conference last week as well, weren't you? I was. Yeah, I was in Nashville last week, and then this week I'm in Newark, and then this should be the last time for a little while, hopefully. Fingers crossed. So, hmm. yeah, we um we opened a new office over in Ohio, and so I'm helping to do some stuff over here this week. Last week was a conference, and uh, yeah, that was fun too. I I had not been to Nashville for anything, you know. Adult related. I been. I, I think I went there once when I was a kid. Stopped like there mm-hmm. on the way through to go somewhere else. But no, it was fun. Nashville was cool, and I'm actually going to be going back there a couple more times this year. So we've got Laracon this year. Then we'll be back in Nashville for. Really excited about that. And then I've got one other conference that's going to be in Nashville as well. So that'll literally make three conferences in one year that are all in Nashville. So Nashville's a happening place. I should have nice. it memorized by the time I'm done with this year. So it should you, be fun. You you're gonna you're gonna eat so much fried chicken this year. So much I know. Right. What do you call it? Barbecue chicken, fried chicken, hot it's chicken. It's like hot chicken. It's like Nashville hot chicken. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. it's it's a thing. I, I haven't had it yet, actually, but I am sure by the time uh, I'm done with this year I will have had it a few times. So you'll be sick of it. <laughs> I, I will, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, should we jump right into it? We've got a couple releases, some news, some packages, all the around. good stuff. Uh, thank you to Honey Badger again for sponsoring the show. As always, we really appreciate them. We'll be talking about them a little bit later in the show. But for now, 9.47. So let's talk about this. Jess Acha contributed set visible and set hidden methods to eloquent collections. The set visible method is useful when you want to be explicit about the data that you want to return and it will leak as new attributes are added to the model. So if you have a collection of items, let's say you have a, a collection of user items uh, that are eloquent models, and you want to return only a sub-selection of the attributes of those models, you can say set visible, and then you can pass an array of the attributes that you want, and then just say to array on that. And what that'll do is that'll make sure that only those values are returned in that array. It's basically like a pluck, if you will. That's kind of like what it seems like, right? It's like a pluck ID, whatever, whatever. So that's that. And then you have the opposite of that, which is set hidden. So if you only want to have a few fields that you want explicitly hidden, but generally want values visible by default, you can also do that set hidden. And then that will return everything except for those specific items that you have asked to be hidden. So we have that. Evan Burrell also contributed support for lazy collections when using the with fake batch with a job. I have to admit, I have not used job batches very much yet. However, I think I could use them more. I remember when Taylor introduced them being really excited about them. So it's basically like you have, um, you know, jobs that are dispatchable, that are queuable, whatever, but you can group a whole bunch of them up together and dispatch them as Mm -hmm. a batch. And then the nice thing that that gives you is that gives you the ability to cancel batches, to check on the progress of a set of batches or to do anything like that, right? Group them all up together and track the progress of those things. And then also do things like 
if it when it finishes, then do this. If it fails, catch it and do this. And finally do this. So, you know, if you're importing a CSV, for example, and you wanted to break it up by a bunch of, you know, it, this job is going to import the first 100 and then the next two 100 and then the next 100 and the next 100 and all of that. You could queue it all up in a, in a big batch. And then if the batch fails, you could say, okay, roll back all those database columns or whatever. I don't know however you'd want to do that. But it can be a bit of a trick to test those things. So now what you can do is you can do a with fake batch with a job. And then you can do things like if that is so what it'll do is if you say with fake batch, what it'll do is it will return like a tuple, I think. I don't know if that's the right thing or not, but it'll return like an array. The first item in the array is a job and the second item is the batch. And so what you could do is you can make specific assertions against the batch or against the job at that point. So that with fake batch sort of allows you some additional things. Um, like if you wanted to test that the batch got canceled, you can do that now because you're getting that with fake batches returning the batch for you and then you can make assertions against it. So if you happen to be using batches and you've wondered how you could do testing on them, thanks to Evan Burrell, uh, you can now do that. So very cool. Uh, we've got some links up into the documentation in that one as well. Okay. Uh, a while back, I actually looked it up. At, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was in November of last year in any case. Uh, Jess Archer, again, uh, contributed this idea of these singleton routes. And what these are is these are zero or one only routes. So you could think of something like a user with a profile or a image or so like a, um, you know, like an album with a thumbnail or something like that. There's only ever going to mm-hmm. be one of those items. But Chorami Kroonstuver contributed an easy way to mark singleton routes as destroyable. So what this is, is you have these singleton routes. And again, it's only going to be zero or one. But similar to how with regular resource routes, you get all the listing of the different things. You can have a, a you know, view, a create, a update, a destroy. You could do all that. Or you can specifically say, I only want these type of routes. Or I want all of them except these type of routes. Essentially, this destroyable is a way to say in shorthand, I want to make a singleton route but I only want to create the routes that allow you to destroy this thing, not to view or create or store this thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly why you would need that, but that's what it is. And so it's in this PR and I'm sure that, or, you know, I'm sure that you could read more about it in the, uh, in the pull request notes, but you have, we have a creatable basically on the singleton, singleton creatable. So you can only create or store. Uh, and, and now we have destroyable as well. So, Nice little bit of parody there. That's it for 9.47. So on to 9.48. 9.48. First up, Patrick Hesselberg contributed a without foreign key constraints schema method to conveniently disable foreign key constraints while managing a database schema. So if you ever run into that issue where you're uh, creating tables in your migrations and you try and create something that doesn't quite line up or you've got existing data that doesn't match, you can now use... Um, previously, you would have to use schema disable foreign key constraints and then run your schema operations and then run schema enable foreign key constraints as to like as a separate thing. You can now use the the new schema without foreign key constraints method, which will accept a closure. And then you can do all of those operations within the context of the closure without the extra function calls either side of it. So thanks to Patrick for that one. Next up, Arco Elzenar contributed a fragment if method to return a fragment of a view conditionally. Sending a fragment is useful when sending a partial HTML view over the wire in cross uh, in XML HTTP requests, so XHR request. So before where you would have to do a check that's like if request has 
header hx-request, you could then do a conditional fragment return, where now you can um, simply do a return view and then pass fragment if and do, do this all in line. So this is handy in those situations where you're returning partial blade components, which was released fairly recently. Arco also contributed a fragments method to return multiple fragments conveniently. And building on the first fragment if PR, there is an accompanying fragments, fragments, plural. So fragment if and fragments if method to conditionally render an array of fragments. These fragment helpers, this is it's interesting because this reminds me a lot of PJAX or TurboLinks, I guess, where you have a partial Ajax. It's not a partial Ajax response. It's a full Ajax response, but you're basically making a Ajax request to an otherwise and to an endpoint that otherwise returns a full HTML page. Uh, so this is really yeah. nice. Like, let me give, just give you a really quick example. So if you had an HTML page, or like, yeah, sorry, that's a bad example. Not HTML. If you if you have a page where you have a search, and you want somebody to be able to search something and then copy the URL and share that search with somebody else. All right, so the idea is like whenever they type in a search query, it updates the URL or something like that, right? And so somebody can go straight to that URL and get the fully rendered page, and that's great. But for the person who's searching that page, it doesn't make any sense to re-render that Chrome all around that entire thing every single time you do a search. So what you can do mm-hmm. in that case is you can just say, hey, I'm going to make an Ajax request to the exact same page that I'm on. But when I make this Ajax request... I'm going to send along this header that says, hey, I'm requesting a partial response here and just return back to me the results of the query. Just result, just return that portion. And then all you have to do is just say, grab the HTML, inject it into that container and you're done. That's all you have to do. And now you've made this fancy little deal. And so that's basically what this is saying here, which is you have this idea of being able to say, only return this fragment if this is true, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's nice. And so you can say, return this view and then only return this fragment of this view if this thing is true. It's really, really, it's it's very clever. I think it's a yeah, for sure. super, super interesting way to do this. So really neat. Nice, nice job, Arco. Uh, next up, Iman contributed an increment each method on the query builder to increment multiple columns with a single query atomically. Uh, so this is useful when the user wants to atomically increment multiple columns in a single query. So before you might do something like, you know, increment and then pass the column name once, twice, three times, but you can now pass increment columns to the query builder and you can specify, I want to remove two on in-store. I want to, uh, oh, sorry, increment. We want to add two to in-store, add three to in, in stock and add five to total when you're making changes. So in an inventory system, for example, the logic can be reused in increment to avoid duplication. The method is named increment columns to indicate that it increments many columns. And a comprehensive set of tests were included in the pull request as well. Thanks to Iman for that. So if you ever wanted to do this, rather than having to do it as three separate database queries, you can now do it um, as one query. Very good. Excellent, excellent. Okay. Uh, Havez Devendari contributed the ability to drop an index by its conventional name when modifying a column by passing false to the unique method. So this is if you had... If you had previously created a unique constraint or a unique index on a column and you wanted to remove it, you would previously have to do a drop index and then you have to go and find the name um, and then and do it that way. So now you can simply do table, string, name, arrow unique, false as the parameter, arrow change. And so to do that as part of a, a change operation rather than um, having to do the, the whole thing by yourself and going into you know, the MySQL command line and looking up the thing, 
the index name and things like that. So just a nice little shortcut, assuming that you're using conventionally named index names there. Yeah, generally, if you had Laravel create it for you, you can use it. As, you can use this to drop it as well, right? If you ma- yeah. if you're creating a manually, you're gonna have a little bit harder time. It is possible, but it is a little yeah. bit more difficult for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dries Vince contributed the configuration of a custom HTTP client options for Symfony's Postmark and Mailgun mailers. Uh, so this is if, for example, you want to increase the timeout on your client or you want to make additional changes, you know, if you have delays or whatever else, things like that. Um, you can find the configuration options referenced in the Symfony docs. But this is just giving you a nice, easy configuration in your mail config rather than having to dip in and, and grab out the client and do whatever manipula- manipulations you need to do there. Zepp Fietje contributed an exception view for the non-standard 402 status code. So this is um, a payment required status code. There are no error pages for exceptions with an HTTP status code of 402 payment required. Even though it is a non-standard response code, it is used by multiple large companies. Um, I'm assuming Stripe uses them and so on and so forth. Um, and that's then used to indicate functionality that is limited due to payment being required. So this is if you're using it in conjunction with Spark or Stripe or Cashier or anything like that. So you can send back a 402 response to your users. And lastly, Eric Gall contributed a not found HTTP client response helper that provides a convenience around checking for a 404 response in um, the HTTP client itself. So previously you'd have to do if response status triple equals 404, you can now do if response arrow not found. Um, So just a convenience method there. But that is all of the things that we have for Laravel 9.48. Very cool. All right. We have also got a Another piece of news under the releases, which is that Inertia version 1.0 has been released. This is awesome news. Jonathan Rennick has been working on this for quite some time now. And there are some couple new features that have been released with it as well. So let's talk about those. So it's got server-side rendering supports for Svelte. It's got first-class type... type, Oh, my word. I'm having a hard time reading here. Let me start over. Here we go. The inertia release comes with server-side rendering for Svelte. It has first-class TypeScript support for React and Vue, a progress indicator in core, and some more. So there is a Twitter uh, little tweet out there from Inertia.js uh, talking about all of this, including the upgrade guide and the release notes. Uh, but the couple of highlights here is that having everything written in TypeScript means that there's no more manual maintenance of type files. And now inertia libraries can take advantage of those TypeScript features. In the 1.0 release, the changes uh, that are included also improve the maintenance as you now only have to install the Inertia adapter of your choice, and then Inertia handles it from there. Previously to this, you had to install a bunch of NPM packages. It's like like the core library, the adapter, the progress library, the SSR package if you wanted to use that. But now all you have to do is just install the, the library of choice if it's Vue, React, Svelte, and then that's it. It'll take care of the rest of it. So uh, along with those NPM package changes, there are new names for all the Inertia packages. So what was previously Inertia.js slash Inertia is now Inertia.js core. What was previously Inertia.js slash Inertia-React is just Inertia slash React. Same thing with Svelte, same thing with Vue 2, same thing with Vue 3. So just a little bit more terse and a little bit more uh, succinct there. Uh, there are, again, as I mentioned, there are some release notes and, and an upgrade guide for any of you that are looking to upgrade your existing Inertia applications to version 1.0, but looks like it should be very straightforward. Congratulations to the team who's been working on that. Great job, everybody. Just just as an aside, those of you who have listened to this podcast for some time know that I'm never on a recent version of PHP or of Laravel, mm. and I just shipped uh, yesterday, I actually, just shipped my pants. Our, 
I just shipped my pants. <laughs> I just shipped my drawers. I just shipped to to production our PHP eight migration. Well, yeah, so we're on PHP eight now in production. We're still nice. running Laravel six. At the That's moment. awesome, man. But now that we've got PHP eight, I'm full steam ahead on finalizing our Laravel seven upgrade, and Let's then go. hot on the heels of that will be our Laravel eight upgrade, and then our Laravel nine upgrade, and then be up to date in time for Laravel 10. So that's going well. And as part of all of this as like an over overarching kind of thing is we're going to be moving from our like Nux front end open API back end to inertia. So I'm, I'm excited to, to dig in and uh, get stuck into that. I know it's been a long time coming for Jonathan and, and the team working on inertia. I know that um, Jess Arch has been helping out a bit as well. So uh, it's it's exciting. I know Taylor as well was helping out rewriting some oh, yeah. of the documentation. So oh really? Okay, very, very cool. Very cool. Not, I'm going to be right on the cutting edge in no time. So excited, yeah, Dave. Uh, excited about I that. mean, so they're using it for Forge, right? With the most recent Forge redesign, they're using mm-hmm. inertia on everything for that. Um, so that's been really cool to see. And so it seems like uh, the Laravel world has taken very kindly to these inertia. Really, and I guess like mm-hmm. technically. Didn't Laravel sort of take on maintenance of the inertia stuff too? Like, is Jonathan sort of like semi-officially on the team? Sort of. I know. I know that they've certainly been lending a hand. Like I said, Je- Jess has been helping out a little bit um, to to get that up to speed. And like Jonathan helps out with some of the Jetstream stuff as well for the yeah, inertia right. yeah. variant of that. So the, you know, it's good that there's that um support you know the laravel team helping out jonathan and the inertia team and vice versa to to get things up and running so it's it's cool to see you know not not quite first party but it's you know as close as you'll get short of laravel actually picking up the whole lot so yeah we're going to be switching over a portion of one of our apps to full inertia as well which if it goes well man i I wouldn't be averse to to going all in on it we'll see we'll see kind of how it goes i'm excited though yeah be my first real production i'm interested to see how the migration is going to look because there's there's like our application is quite large and there's a lot of API stuff going on. So the f- the first thing we're going to do is merge the two code bases into one, so at least everything's in one place. And then it'll be interesting to see how we go about swapping out parts of the application from Nuxt Open API to Laravel Inertia. So that'll be an interesting journey to follow along on our other show over the it year. I think it will be absolutely. Speaking of uh, Inertia. Jetstream, Laravel Jetstream and Breeze have been updated to use Inertia version 1 and Dark Mode for Jetstream has also been released. The Laravel team released new versions of both Jetstream and Breeze in which both starter kits have been upgraded to use Inertia v1. In addition, both now have Laravel 10 support to start testing and prepare the way for general release which will happen on February 7th, so about a week from the time of this recording. This release also includes a full Dark Mode support for Laravel Jetstream, thanks to Facundo Otrino. Um, Laravel Jetstream has support for the Livewire stack as well as the Vue Inertia stack. And the new Jetstream applications using the Vue Inertia stack will install Inertia version 1. And Laravel Breeze, which also has a Vue and React stack, receive upgrades to Inertia v1 for each of those respective ones. So thanks to Jess Archer and Jonathan Rennick for making Inertia v1 ready to use in Jetstream and Breeze. And if you have an existing Breeze or Jetstream app, you can follow the Inertia Upgrade Guide and the Inertia V1 pull request for your respective stacks to get yourself up to date for your existing applications. And we talk, I think, I'm sure we talked about this on the previous episode. If you want to enable dark mode when creating a new Jetstream application, you can use the dash dash dark flag. So you use PHP Artisan, Jetstream, colon, install, and then Inertia or Livewire, whichever, or Breeze, whichever stack you're using, and then pass dash dash tack. 
And if you plan to use the LiveWire stack without dark mode, be aware that the components will be published during installation. So strip the dark classes from them if you need to. You can see more side-by-side comparisons of the light versus dark mode UI in Jetstream. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Very good. Okay, Statamic. So those of you who are out there using Statamic, Statamic has been around for a long time. Uh, we got Jack McDade powering and driving the ship there as well as some other longtime Laravel uh, community members who are very much, uh, you know, they're involved in the community, but they are on the Statamic team. So what we're talking about in this specific instance is what they have coming up, which is Flat Camp. So the Flat Camp retreat is an unforgettable relationship-focused retreat for the Statamic community which is set in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. So I was reading through this, and basically it looks like there are a few talks and workshops, and they dive deep into like Statamics features and roadmap and then that good stuff. But they're also talking about how to take care of our bodies at our desks, how to improve our designs and our communication. And then they spend the rest of their time building relationships, enjoying the great outdoors, and relaxing by one of several campfires. So they have things like all-you-can-eat s'mores, right? They have... (laughs) Uh, exclusive Statomic Flat Camp swag, a lot of other mysteries and surprises. And Jack is always great at this stuff. For instance, when we had Laracon in New York City, it, like the whole theme was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was like 80s, right? What's what's the word I'm looking for, though? It's like retro wave or whatever yeah, it is. Synth five. Like, so, yeah, sure. That, that idea, right? And so Jack showed up with a CRT television and Street Fighter, and he wheeled it around uh, Times Square and took it to restaurants with us so we could play on whatever. So I have no doubt that Jack has tons of surprises and, you know, fun things up his sleeve um, to make it super fun. But this is a three light, three nights lodging in one of the seven private mountaintop cabins that they've reserved. Transportation to and from the airport, the Charlotte Douglas Airport, access to all the workshops, intimate talks, campfire chats, et cetera, et cetera. The the a number of people is extremely limited. It's only 50 guests. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested in doing this, you're definitely going to want to hop on that train. I looked at the um, the tickets and stuff as well, and they're selling out pretty quickly. So if you want to get in there, hurry up and uh, book a ticket. I'm sure it'll be a great time. For sure. Um, the good thing about using Statomic is that it's not typically prone to runtime errors and things like that because it's a static site generator. True. And the number one reason that startups fail is that they run out of money and there are many ways for startups to lose money and downtime shouldn't be one of them. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. Can you imagine if you had an hour outage at a big business? No good. A monthly subscription with HoneyBadger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and, most importantly, how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. You can get started today in as little as five minutes at honeybadger.io with plans starting at the low, low price of free. Thanks, HoneyBadger, for sponsoring the show. Very nice. We've got a uh, package here. Uh, I say it's package. It's actually probably more under news. I, I've, I've read this title and I understand the title. I'm just curious how it actually works or, or where this is at, how I can get this. But the title says this, Automatic Dock Block Generation on Facades. So uh, Taylor tweets, Tim McDonald has automated dock block generation on facades. 
So as you may or may not know, a facade in Laravel is basically a wrapper around service location inside of your application. So items that you want that you have bound into the container, you can use a facade to uh, grab those things out of the container. And facades are also really useful because you can mock them super easily in your tests. And so facades are a big deal in the Laravel community. And in fact, Taylor has a Lamborghini with the word facade <laughs> as the license plate. So it is a, it's a big thing, right? However, like if you're using an IDE, those facades don't have any methods on them because they just reference a class that's in the container. So if your IDE is looking for what method is available on this particular class that's being referenced out of the container, it has no idea. It doesn't know. Yeah. So a lot of times what you'll do is you'll, you know, on a facade that you might create manually in the doc blocks at the top, you'll have like at method and then you'll type it all up so that your IDE can infer like, oh, that's a method that's available on this thing. But unfortunately, it doesn't always stay up to date. You forget, you, you know, you add a method and you forget to add it in your facade yeah. and, and all that stuff, right? So just reading this, basically what I'm seeing is this. Facade doc blocks are now automatically updated when new methods are added to their underlying targets or when those methods change. This, help, I, this helps IDEs provide a more accurate, up-to-date experience when using facades. And what this means for the Laravel community is improved IDE support for, for facades, providing more accurate code completion. So he shows an example from storage, and then he says, here's another example from the storage facade. It was updated along with the file system adapter and file system manager. So if you update to a recent version of Laravel, you should see improvements across most of the facades, such as app, cache, DB, date, file, HTTP, request, and, and meet, to name a few. The process started last December with the first pull request introducing this tool uh, with improvements over subsequent releases uh, to hone the script. So facades can be generated and kept up to date by running this command. So php-f bin slash facades.php. So this was built for facades that ship with the Laravel framework. If you follow along with weekly framework releases, you might have seen pull requests to add facade doc mm -hmm. blocks for particular methods or groups of methods that developers might see needed to be added. Now they can mostly be kept up to date automatically thanks to the script that Tim has created. So it sounds like this is mostly or is only for facades that are to deal with the framework. Yeah. Is that correct? So, okay. So if you run this command, um, it should it should just update them for you, right? It doesn't necessarily do it for all of the facades that you've created. However, there is a solution to this. Which is that Barry um, Vanderhuevel? Name, thank you, Barry Vanderhuevel, has this like IDE helper package that you can pull in, and that will provide doc blocks for your facades mm -hmm. as well as for your models if you care to. It will put these same things on your models, and you can install that package. And I think there's even a command line tool like instead of having to install it on, you can install it globally mm -hmm. and run it as like a post hook or something yep. like that to to kind of update stuff. PHP Storm has a like a Laravel, Laravel Idea, I think is the name of the plugin. Oh, yeah, Laravel Idea, yes. Mm -hmm. um, which which is like a subscription-based thing. It's it. like the, five or seven bucks a month or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a couple of bucks a month. It does, like, yeah, and it doesn't just bad. do facade mm -hmm. stuff. It does a whole bunch of other Laravel intelligence. You can it see really into does, your yeah. like, config files and, and keys in there and things like that. So, yeah, yeah there's, really, there's a whole really bunch handy. of options. But this is, the, the, the crux of it is to make sure that you get the best editing experience from the framework out of the box. So all of these things are there, whether you're using, you know, VS Code and IntelliSense or NeoVim and LSP or PHP Storm, like the idea here is that those things will always be correct and up to date based on what is in the framework. There are 
there are some because you can't modify the vendor files, right? You know, I mean, it's not going to stick anyway. So, like, if these things weren't on there, by you know, from the framework, then it's not going to it's not going to do yeah. anything for you. So, there are not there from the there are there well. are some there are some caveats around you know correctness and and dog blocks not being necessarily correct. Um, for example, the the auth facade has methods hinted on it in the dog blocks that are only accessible in certain manage um certain session managers. So the set remember duration method is in the doc blocks, but it will only be available if you're using the session guard. It's not there if you're using the token guard. So there are some caveats. Ah, Most of these okay. things probably won't affect you, but the things to be aware of. So definitely, sure. definitely worth checking yeah, out. Have, have a, have a look at the pull request, which will include links to in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Nice job, Tim McDonald. The Laravel deleted models package by Sparsi automatically copies deleted models to a separate table. According to Frank's write-up about the package, you can think of this package as a recycle bin for models. The package achieves this through a database table called deleted models and adding a keep keeps deleted models trait to your models that you want to save backups of deleted models. The package can also attempt to restore deleted models using a few different methods, whether you're using whether you want to restore and return the model, whether you want to make an in-memory instance but you don't necessarily want to save it and then restore quietly where it'll restore that without firing events. Um, you can also tap into the restore process with a closure if you want to modify the model during the restoration process. The package has other configuration options and considerations like pruning the deleted models table on a schedule and how often that table is pruned. Um, you might wonder why you would use this package versus the built-in soft deletes feature in Laravel Core and Flakes write-up does an excellent job of comparing the trade-offs of both approaches. But in summary, some of the pros and cons of soft deletes. Soft deletes are obviously convenient. They're part of the framework. They're documented. They're available at all times. There's no data copying needed when deleting a model. It stays in your table and it just updates the deleted at record. Deleted records benefit from any future alterations to the table schema. So they're always kept in sync with like the current state of the schema. You must keep soft deleted uh, soft deletes in mind when querying the database, i.e. scoping to where deleted at is null, which is done automatically for you if you're using the trait. However, there are some cons. Referential integrity when soft deleting model associations must be done manually. So if you've got um, related models that you also want to delete, it's a bit of a rigmarole to do that. And undeleting can be complex when restoring a model and then the related models because you get things out of sync. You don't know, was this um, model deleted before the parent was deleted and things like that. So it's a whole thing. But according to Frank, there are some pros and cons of using a separate deleted models table as in this package. There's no need to adjust queries to account for the deleted app. The database can protect referential integrity because deleting a record will also delete any associated records if you're using foreign key constraints. It's easy to permanently delete old data and it's harder to restore deleted data. Uh, and, and one of the main negatives is it's harder to restore deleted data as you must copy it back versus just updating the, the de- deleted app column back to null. Um, so this is a very interesting thing. If Like... It's a, like we said at the start, it's like a recycle bin for your models. Sure. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. You know, you in insurance, me in finance, you know, if you delete something, you probably don't necessarily want to delete it. I know that there's been a number of times where someone has come to me and is like, hey, I deleted this thing by accident. Can you get it back? You know, um, so this is definitely a, a good tool to keep under your hat. Um, there was something that I thought of. I can't remember. No I can't remember what it was, but uh, definitely check this one out if it's something that you would find useful. Very nice. Okay, we've got another package here. 
which is called Laravel Fleet. And hopefully the reason for it being called Fleet will be obvious in just a minute here. But this is by Andrew Schmelyun. And what this does is it runs multiple Laravel sale websites locally with custom domain names. So let's talk about real quick what Laravel sale is. So many of us use Laravel Valet, which is a great way to run uh, local websites. You just park a folder or a or a set of folders, right? And then you can say, hey, I want that to be running at a suffix of like dot test. And then wherever you want to, you can just say the the site that's in that folder. If I have my new Laravel app uh, in that folder, it'll say my new Laravel app dot test, right? And that works great. Uh, but it uses some things that are Mac only, I believe. I don't know necessarily. I don't know if there's Windows support. However, Laravel sale is an additional option, which is a you know, Laravel backed Docker and Docker Compose uh, that will spin up containers that create local development environments for your applications. This does work across Mac and Windows, right? So that's Laravel sale. It's pretty awesome. Uh, But the problem is that the containers that you get when you're using this by default bind to port 80 of your local machine. So spinning up a second application will fail because it's trying to use a port that's already been bound. So you can always adjust it so the second app is available using something like 8081. But then if you wanted to say, hey, app one, go talk to app two, you have to remember which one is running on which port. And you have to go look at the config.yaml files or whatever. And it's it's just difficult, right? So instead, what Fleet does, and again, what I said is hopefully it's going to be obvious. You have Laravel sail. So a boat is like sailing, right? And then if you have a bunch of them, you would have mm-hmm. a fleet of ships, right? You have a fleet of them. So Fleet provides a small set of commands that alter your Docker or sorry your Docker Compose YAML files to provide support for a, another project called it's either Traffic or Traffic it's T R A E F I K and what this is is it's basically a reverse proxy that runs on a Docker Docker container and then it allows you to run those multiple sale apps as custom domain names so it feels very sort of valet ish where you just have hey here's a domain name. And here's a domain name, and here's a domain name, and if I want them to talk to each other, I just point it to those local domain names, and then they can now now they can all chat between each other without having to modify ports or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. So this traffic uh, handles that by just you know putting a reverse proxy in front of everything, similar to how I'm trying to remember what we use Caddy. Mm-hmm. I think Valet uses Caddy to do the same thing. So uh, here are some of the commands. The package provides artisan commands to add fleet support to an application. Once you install the fleet package, you can add your application using the fleet add commands. You call PHP artisan fleet add, and then you just, after that, give it whatever custom domain name you want it to be. So my-app.localhost or my-app.test or whatever you want to do. And then after that, that will that will go ahead and modify your Docker YAML file. And then you just run sale up, just like you normally would. And then that'll bring up your, your application and your Docker container, and it will now be accessible from whatever domain name you set, that local domain name that you set. So that's it. Uh, Andrew also has a YouTube video if you want to use a, if you want to do a deeper dive into using traffic to manage multiple sites with Docker Compose. Uh, I did look at traffic. It looks pretty cool. Um, there's like a whole UI, which is provided at localhost colon 8080, and it will show you, you know, how everything is running. Uh, on on the back end, it'll give you sort of like a little dashboard to say, hey, here's any traffic that's coming through. Here's like the health of each site. It's it's just interesting. So uh, if you are a Laravel sale user or are looking for something to help solve this problem of not being able to have multiple sale apps talk to each other, you should definitely check this one out. Thanks, Andrew. 
Laravel Stethoscope is a Laravel package to monitor CPU, memory, hard disk, server, and network connections. You can use this package to provide configurable thresholds for CPU, memory, and hard disk space and continuously monitor these thresholds to trigger alerts. The package's main features include monitoring of your CPU, memory, and hard disk utilization. It allows you to check network connection status, Nginx status, and a record log when exceeding the consumption of CPU, memory, and hard disk thresholds, and a record log when the network connection fails or Nginx is deactivated. The package comes with a few helpful artisan commands to quickly diagnose useful health metrics. For example, you can use stethoscope colon listen, and it will show the current stats for the configured metrics. And you, continuous, you can continuously monitor configured stats and run them on a cron using the monitor command. The package is available on Composer. The source is on GitHub, and it supports for both PHP 8 and Laravel 8. You can add it to your application using Composer. Um, this is useful in situations where you're not quite ready to get to the level of some like APM service or Datadog or Sentry or New Relic, things like that. But you want to have some oversight of, of what, you're, what your server is doing so you can keep tabs on it. Um, so definitely check that one out. Absolutely. Yeah, it is really cool. I love that people make this stuff and they just release uh-huh. it for free. It's so cool. Like plenty of people could use this, guaranteed. All right, we have another package called Laravel Smart Ads. So this is a simple ad banner and callout manager for Laravel. Uh, so it has a nice little UI that you can give uh, that you that you sorry that you get, and then you can create a new ad. It shows you the total number of ads that you've had, how many views they've had, how many clicks they've had. Um, so you could sort of say, hey, I want to sell ad space on my site, but I don't want to outsource this to some other company. Instead, what I want to do is I want to keep track of all my own metrics. So I'm going to create my own new ad and I'm going to keep track of all those things for the person who I'm selling this ad to. You could use it for other things as well, actually. I mean, there's, you know, you could use it if you didn't want to necessarily do it for selling, but you just wanted to say, hey, I'm going to put this banner up on our website about our new, you know, this company retreat that's coming up. And I'm interested to know how many people are seeing this, how many people are actually clicking on this. I had a request from our PR team recently. They said, hey, we, we put these things up on our company website you know, internal company website, but we never know how many people actually see it or interact with it. Can you check? Can, mm-hmm. can you give us a count for that? This would have been exactly what I would have wanted, right? So ad banners, callouts, different things like that, right? So you can use the package to create ads and then place them somewhere on your website. It has a little provided JavaScript uh, snippet and a blade component. So it's just an x-smart-ad component. It lets you place an ad via a template. And the second way the package allows you to place ads is the automatic route, which enables you to provide a CSS selector to where the ad should render in the DOM, and then it just injects it right into that spot. And then also, like I said, it gives you a dashboard that tracks clicks and views. Uh, really easy to get started just by Composer requiring five balloons slash Laravel dash smart dash ads. This one's written by Paul Redman. Thanks, everyone's favorite human, Paul. We appreciate you, man. Very nice. All right, everyone, it is homework time. It's time for the tutorials. Indeed. First up, we have mm-hmm. configuring Laravel Pint. So Laravel Pint, for those of you who don't know, is the hot new thing from the Laravel team. It is an excellent wrapper around PHP CS Fixer that is certainly my two and definitely uh, Steve McDougall's go-to uh, code standards tool. We run it in CI. We make sure all of our stuff's consistent. The, the, it is a wrapper for PHP CS Fixer. So if you're using PHP CS Fixer, keep using it. But this, this is the, I'm going to say in quotes, the tool to get the Laravel coding standard. So previously you might have used StyleCI. So this is an open source, free to use package that you can rig into GitHub Actions and into your own stuff. Um, So it's got all of the Laravel defaults out of the box, but sometimes you want to make some modifications. This tutorial is going to tell you how to do that. 
TLDR of that, the Turlong didn't read or didn't listen, is you can just pass phpcs fix options into your pint.json file. And and that's basically it. Um, but there's there's a number of options that that Steve goes through in terms of things that he likes to change and how he likes to have it set up where he he kind of departs from the Laravel conventions in certain scenarios. So check that one out. We've got how to improve your Laravel applications security using a content security policy. Um, I did this once. I broke everything and so I rolled it all back. Um, so Ash Allen contributed this one as a, as a guest post and I'm going to have a good read into it because I always enjoy the content that Ash puts out. You can learn all about Laravel's dependency injection container in this tutorial from uh, Steve. Um, and this is telling, te- this will teach you all about the dependency injection container um, and why it's not as scary as it sounds. So he'll walk you through how he leans on Laravel's container to make his code work for him. And then subsequently, you can make it work for you. We've got using PHP code sniffer with Laravel. So we talked about Laravel Pint that came bundled with new Laravel installations. And for most people, using it for all code style formatting is enough. But before Laravel Pint, Steve preferred a combination of PHP CS Fixer and PHP Code Sniffer, which are both excellent in tandem and offer unique rules that can help you enforce code style. Um, code Sniffer complements CS Fixer, complements Pint. Um, if you're using PSR 12, for example, there's some like soft rules in that that talk about like the lines. There is a soft limit on line length that there sh- they must must be. Um, 120 characters. But like if you go over that, it's not a problem. So you may use code sniffer to detect that and enforce it and things like that. So check that one out. We've got an article here about reducing code duplication, which is the most painful thing for a lot of developers. Sometimes you'll write something a couple of times and you will think, oh, yep, I need to, I've solved the problem, but I, you know, now I've got several instances of the same code and then there's multiple places to update it. So this is talking about how you might go about reducing duplication where you might see it as a repeated pattern. Steve talks about um, console commands always being a place where where this happens a lot. So in this tutorial, he walks through how you can approach writing code with a focus on reducing duplication. Um, And lastly, building APIs in Laravel. Uh, For those of you that are at Laracon EU, Steve spoke about this, I believe, in his talk. Um, And we're going to see some more content from that. But building APIs in Laravel is an art form. And you need to think beyond data access and wrapping eloquent models in API endpoints. So if you're just taking what you have in the database and spitting it out in uh, an eloquent resource, there may be more to it than that that gives you a better um, API. So definitely check this one out as well. So much. So much stuff. That was a lot of them. We didn't talk about Laracon EU at all, uh, but it seemed like it was awesome. Seemed like it went off really well. The venue looked amazing. All the speakers looked amazing. I'm, I think it was, um, I was jealous because it was like the first time so many people have gotten back together in so long. And so I was, uh, you know, wishing I could have been there, but definitely not going to miss the Laracon US one, which tickets are still on sale. So if you have not gotten yours yet, you should definitely do that. And uh, there's been a couple speakers announced for that already. A lot of the uh, old faithfuls, you know, you got uh, Porzia, you got Freak, you got Taylor, of course. I don't remember who else. There's a couple others in there. Nuno, I think, is speaking. Uh, so, yeah, it, it should be a good one. And, uh, of course, just like, a, you know, always the best part is that we're just getting to be all together again. So it should be amazing. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. This was episode one and 184. Show notes for this episode at podcast.laravel-news.184. Rate us up. Five stars would be much appreciated. It helps people find the show. And if you have any questions, hit us up at uh, Michael Dorita at Jacob Bennett or at Laravel News. Until next time, folks. See ya. 
Ciao.